Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on September 25th, 2022. Pastor Rem Dias brings a gospel message from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, titled, Awkward is Awesome.
guy, go ahead and flip it to the back. We're going to read from Daniel this morning as uh, we come to our time of renewal. And uh, Daniel chapter 9, uh, 4 and 5, and then 7 and 10. So we're just jumping around a little bit in chapter 9. And so hear the word of the Lord, Daniel chapter 9. I pray to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us only shame, because we have sinned against you and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws that he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So, again, uh, notice the we. We have sinned. Uh, and done wrong. There's something that binds us together in the real way is our brokenness um, this morning. Uh, and the same thing that binds us together is brokenness can be the same thing that binds the, is the pillar and anger of the church, which is the blood of Christ covering that sin and that open shame. But we have to be honest. We have to be honest with God this morning. And so let's just do that. Let's slow down. Let's take some time in prayer and just giving the Lord our shame, giving the Lord our sin this morning, Paul Punchface. So let's do that moment of silent prayer and confession. the gospel, that need the gospel. 
And, and I pray that, Father, uh, you would continue to be with uh, the nations, as we talked about last week. And just, uh, Lord, we, you know, it's, it is part of our mission statement, Lord. And we, we want to be a, uh, we don't want to worship a little village God, but we, we, we pray that you would give us, we, you just give us insight and, and boldness to know that you, you could use us to bless and, and the nations and, and, and to, to be about your mission, not just your life, but the nations. So just, uh, we pray for, I, I am praying for those right now, overseas that are being persecuted or for whatever reason that literally they, they feel like any moment someone's coming in to, to, to stop their Bible study or to stop the preaching of the word, can you grant them boldness and also can you just um, uh, just help people that are not living even in this moment to not see them or just lead them in that way. So just uh, we ask for your, your hand, your provision on that. Um, Lord, we know that you... You're making the grass grow. You, you're in every single detail of this creation. So help us. Help us. Help us to be a people that live our lives not for the glory of our name, but the glory of you and your thing. And Lord, uh, specifically to you, just Holy Spirit, keep me throughout this service. That would be your aim to know you. Thank you that you were here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the shirts are a part of comes from 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25. Jesus Christ himself bore our sins. Bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But here it is. By his wounds you have been healed. Can we not do like, okay, by his wounds, we have been healed. For we were strained like sheep. We were going the opposite way, but have now returned to the shepherd overseer of our souls. So let's just keep returning. That is good news, people. Uh, let's stand and sing together.
Great job. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, good morning. How are we doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. I'm glad you are here. Uh, and uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're in 1 Timothy again. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And if you uh, glanced ahead this morning and you saw where we were going, you're like, oh boy, uh, this is a, a great day to come to church. Um, and hey, uh, all God's word is inspired and useful. And so I am just, I am so excited actually to dive into this text. Uh, and so we're going to read it. Uh, and normally my manuscripts are around six or seven pages. I got an eight-pager today. So uh, all that to say is, uh, yeah, you might need to help us pick up the sound equipment. We got to rush out here because there is a lot to say on this. And uh, just a, you know, um, one little caveat is that this is just one sermon. Uh, the texts that we're going to get today are literally books and books and books have been written on these verses. There is major theological differences on these verses, and we will land on one side today, and if you're on the other side today, uh, I would just, hey, this is one sermon. There's a lot here. I cannot cover everything in one sermon on this passage. So, if you leave, and you're like, I still got questions. That's why I'm a pastor, and that's why there's a new coffee shop in town called Cup and Coffee, and we can sit over with some coffee with this with this in front of us, all right? Okay, so let's actually dive into the passage now. And so here we go. Starting at verse 8. Starting at verse 8. It's on the screen. Here we go. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women to profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgression. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Aren't you glad you came to church? Uh, so here we go. Um, I'm titling this message, Awkward is Awesome. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, Awkward. Awkward, and then turn to your other neighbor and say, Is Awesome. Yeah, Awkward is Awesome. Awkward is Awesome. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll stop right here. Father, dear, uh, I thank you that this is your word. I thank you that it is your breath on page. And, uh, Father, I admit that I uh, am a sinner in your grace. And one thing, Lord, I pray is that I would not fear at all what these people think. I pray I would love the, the people in our church, male and female, so well. I would joyfully lead them. But, Lord, I pray first and foremost, I would fear you. I would hold fast to your word. 
I pray, Jesus, that we would be misunderstanding this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the truths here would actually set us free. That, that Father, there's a reason why this passage is in 1 Timothy for what it means to be a, a healthy and thriving church. And Lord, that's just what we want. We want to be a church that is healthy and thriving. So Lord, I pray, Jesus, you would be exalted. God, you would be glorified this morning. And you would just take my words and make them yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was at the end of my ordination track in the Free Methodist Church. Uh, ordination is not an easy gig. Um, I was about 24 years old, uh, 24, 23. I had spent, I don't know, two and a half years of doing some classes, psyche vows, and I mean, it's just, they, they run you through the ringer um, in ordination. And I had done multiple tests already, and I'm in my final exam. And here was the question that was asked me. A woman comes into your office feeling called to go into pastoral ministry. How do you respond? I knew what they wanted me. I knew what they wanted me to respond and I, with, which was, yes, you should affirm that. You should breathe that in there. But my conscience could not answer that way. Fast forward to dinner tables with my family. Uh, so I'm sitting around the table with my mom, who has been a ordained pastor most of her life. Uh, sitting around the table with my sister-in-law, who's ordained in the Free Methodist Church. And sitting with my sister, who's also a, in track right now to be an ordained Free Methodist pastor. And they look at me. And I mean, man, theological conversations in our home, uh, you know, woo uh, But they look at me and they say, hey, Rip, why is it that men are only doing your men's leadership training? Huh. Uh, heart racing, uh, palm sweating. What, what? I'm always at, listen, I'm always at a crossroads in moments like this in my life. And I've been at a, so if you think uh, that I can just preach this text and this is not me, this is deeply personal to me. Like I have gone through the thick of the, what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'm always, though, but I, it, it never fails. I'm always at a crossroads in moments like this. Again, ordination, it takes forever to try to be ordained. And lot, you just want to get, you want to get this certificate. You just want to get ordained. But I, and that, you just want that. It's easier, it would have been easier for me just to, and I could have nailed that answer. I could have given, I mean, I'm not being boastful, but I could have just nailed that answer. I had been at Asbury Theological Seminary where they take a different theological position here, and I could have nailed it. But, and then, same thing with my, with my family. Like, the last thing I want is to be unsupportive, unloving, or to anyway demean any type of calling on their life. But more than any of that, I want to glorify God. I want to try, I want to say, this is what I think the text most clearly, clearly says. I want to always hold to the Bible tightly. 
okay? And our theological assumptions around that, how we define that, we hold to those loosely. And the thing that, I'm just saying, what lines up closest to Scripture? And I'm telling you right now, there are reasons why we come to texts like this. There are reasons why we come to texts like this. And, and the, the pressure is, the pressure is to twist. The pressure is to say something and move something into the text that isn't there because why? It's offensive to the culture. This is not where culture is going. And but I, my aim this morning, here's my aim, with my through prayer, and you could, if any sermon you'd be praying for me through, you pray for me through this one. Uh, with, with prayer and discernment, with my finger on the text, I hope to show you the beauty of God's perfect and great design of actually what is here that, that we can say, hey, hey, we can trust God because he's smarter than us. He's wiser than us and that he knows best how we function. And so this is a long introduction, but I want to read one more quote as before we actually dive into the text. It says, which is more likely, that the Bible is out of date or that our culture is out of line? God's word critiques every culture. Often the scriptures that most shock and surprise us or even angers and offends us is the scriptures we most need to hear. And, and so I, I'm just going to ask you to lean in. Lean in and we're going to look at three different observations of men and women in the church in three different ways men and women can trust God. We can trust God for how he has laid this text out. So the first observation, we see it in verses 8 and 10, is men are to trust God in praying over quartering, and women are to trust God in modesty over flaunting dress. So, all right, let's do it. So verse 8, um, verse 8. But notice, I want you to see right here, notice how uh, this text starts. It starts with the men. And often I think when we come to this text, it is offensive and it might be a little abrasive because we think it's just mainly about women and, and, and their roles and their function. But notice where it starts. It starts by addressing the men. And this idea of men-only elders and men leading in the home and men leadership, um, and the big fancy word for this, by the way, and the theological word here is complementarianism. So that just means we believe that God has made distinct roles, both male and female, and they're meant to complement one another. It's complementarianism. And when that, this idea of men and women leading, I mean, and men leading in the church is, we often think it's a, a, it's a women's issue. Women just need to get it. Women just need to get this issue. But no, 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 I think in our culture, it starts with the men. This is more likely a man's issue. This is a man's issue. The men are not getting it. I mean, and that's why he's starting from the very start. He's going to start with men. I mean, think about it. Ephesians 5. You think about Ephesians 5. We are to, and he's in the context of the home, talking to men, 
we are to, men are to lay down their life as Christ laid down his life. This is the idea that, and, and men, oh my goodness, if you think you can just through the Bible without just, no, no, the, the word has a ton to say to men. You're the first to ask for forgiveness. You're the first to, to move toward in grace and in service. So it's, notice that's where he starts. He's going to start with men, men. And he says, what, what's he address? My desire then is that in every place that men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or accordingly. Okay, he picks up on this idea last week. We talked about prayer last week, and he's saying, hey, same thing, men, what are you to do in the church? Pray. Pray. But notice he says, lifting up holy hands. And here's the application. Man, get your hands up in church already. No, I mean, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. You put your hand up. This is, a, you know, the idea he's saying is that when a heart, okay, is affected with grace, and we, it, I mean, it should change the, our disposition. I mean, you, I mean, I don't I look through the scriptures. I'm, I'm seeing guys falling on their faces in prayer. I mean, people are kneeling in prayer uh, because why? It's because there is a there is an inner reality that just leads to oh my goodness. This is why Christians you should not walk through the day just like oh my gosh my dog died. I mean, good grief already. Do you not see the words that we sing? See the scriptures that we see that Christ is ruling and reigning and uh, he's. He's here and active. I mean, uh, what's our response? Yay, church. No, I mean, there should be an inner reality here that, oh my goodness, look what Christ has done. And so, yes, lifting holy hands, like, yes, bow, kneel. That is some of the offense, but that's not mainly what he's trying to emphasize here. How the Greek is breaking down here, he's mainly emphasizing, what he's mainly emphasizing is not the posture of our praying, but the purity of our praying. When he says, holy hands. I mean, Psalm 24, 3-4 says, Who may ascend to the mountains? Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Our praying should be done. Listen, our praying should be done with hearts that are pure. And notice, that there are things right here in the text that he's saying that actually is going to hinder your prayers, brothers. Then y'all listen up. I need to. He says, your anger and your quarreling amongst each other. Paul goes right to the heart of man's issues, right? He's going right to the heart of what we struggle with. We you know what we struggle with coming to church like, I'm so. I'm a man. And, and, and because I'm a man, I know what's best. And, and because I'm a man, and, 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 and at least he's saying what's happening in the church is your manly, your machoism is, is leading to anger amongst each other and quarreling amongst each other. And he's like, can I just get a brother to humble himself already and pray? Can I get a brother to say, hey, hey, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get over myself, and I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to understand that relationships matter when it comes to the effects to my prayer life, and I'm going to humble. You know how we apply this, I think about it, is Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 
Uh, literally, Jesus is like, um, here's what I want you to do. Y'all can come into the gathering and offering all these sacrifices and doing all this stuff. This is paraphrased. And, 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 and you come and, and you're bound and you're praying, but you've got hatred towards your brother. What's he telling them to do? Leave the gift at the altar already and go get reconciled with your brother. Then come and start bowing down and praying. And then, oh, you really want to talk about the purity of praying? How about, how about we just dive into the real dicey passage of 1 Peter 3 7? I mean, again, we're talking about men and women leading uh, in the, you know, and in the context of men and women, he, 1 Peter 3 7 says, Brothers, if you're not uh, if you're not honoring your wife, if if you're not honoring your wife, your prayers will be hindered. Uh, I'll tell you what, that passage is like me. I was like, oh my goodness. That means why am I could uh, acting like a crazy man, dishonoring my wife, and I don't even think I'm just gonna offer up a prayer. No, uh, go and reconcile. He's saying that, guys, relationships matter in our prayer life. And so, if men, let's let's pray. Let's pray. And I would encourage you if if you have something, if there is anger or quarreling in your heart towards your wife, towards towards someone else in the church, I would encourage you. The word is encouraging you. Look at Jesus again. Look at what He has done for you. How He's moved towards you. How that grace and redemption, and get obsessed with that grace. Get over yourself and move towards your brother and say, "Okay, I don't want Christian. So I'm going to reconcile. Then I'm going to pray, pray." So he addresses the men in there, but then he's going to shift. Paul shifts and addresses the women. And some of you, if I read that, you're like, oh no, I knew I shouldn't have worn braided hair today. This was the wrong day to wear braided hair and a necklace. And you should. I can, I can get up and leave. No, no, that's not okay. <laughs> it's okay, take a deep breath. You're like, okay. <sighs> Password was looking at me. Yeah, the gold back goes on. Just take a breath. Because that's not what he's saying. Okay, this is not what he's saying, that you can't ever have braided hair, gold, or any even nice clothing. He, no, that's not what he's saying. Mostly what he's saying here is it's the motives behind your dress, and it's doing that type of dress, abusing that type of dress. See, in the context of when this was written, track with me, braided hair and gold and a woman's hair, okay, this flaunty type of dress was literally what the prostitutes of the day were wearing to lure men in, to seduce a man, and to, yeah, to take ownership over them in some way, and not just the prostitutes, but also this is what women were wearing in order that, in order to gain position and power to, to really use their authority over men in that way. And so it's not so much the braided hair, the gold here, and, um, but what the universal principle throughout in these verses is this, modesty. Women are to be modest in how they dress and the gathering. 
The question is, so we come out the application like this with the question. The question is not what makes me most attractive. You know, not, that's the wrong motivation, but instead, and I love how David Platt says this, instead the question should be, what can I wear that best demonstrates a humble, devoted heart to worship to God? See, the world says, this is interesting, the world says that beauty for women is only skin deep. It's just this outward, this, and, and, and what the Lord is saying, what, what, what he's saying here is that there's, no, 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 actually the God's radar or what beauty is, is an inward heart of godliness. It's a heart that is so in love with Jesus that out of this woman just flows these, these amazing, this, I mean, this is what he says, adorn yourself with godliness, the fruit of walking with Christ. That's what he's saying, adore yourself, put these things on. And so women, it's okay to get your hair did, right? It's okay, it's okay, but it's the idea of modesty. And, but there's a couple applications I want to say here on this text. First, I want to address the men. In this. And you might be like, well, the text didn't say it about men right here. But no, I think we have to lean into here. And here's the application for men. Men, let's be sure that we are not constantly objectifying women. I mean, God says that my test of beauty is godliness, not so much gaudiness. And I believe sometimes the women in our culture, the women of our day, feel the pressure of this is because what does the culture say? That men says, oh, men are just objectifying women. It's what you look like, what you look like, what you look like. And this, 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 and they're being bombarded with this. So men, can we grow up? That doesn't mean that we don't ever say, hey, wife, you look beautiful there. Hey, sister, nice outfit. No, 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 no. But how about we, how about we go where God goes here? How much are we feeding into saying women, catching the women in our church, catching our wife saying, this is where I see men. God moving in your heart. This is where I see God in this flowing through you, sister in Christ. So, men, let's, let's be aware. How much are we objectifying women? And so, there, that is, but also women, I would say this. Alright? If this is a problem for you, that you feel like a constant, right? I just need to just put this on, put this on, and you're constantly thinking because I want to win this person's approval of this person. I would just encourage you, please, please, could you just today, like, let this be, and this has been on your heart a lot. Let this be God's way nudging you to give it to another sister in Christ and say, hey, sister in Christ, will you help me in this? Will you help me in this? Can you help me? Can you pray with me? Can you walk with me through this? One of our friends uh, back in Hillsborough had a, uh, well, they had all these kids. I don't even know how many kids they had. Six, five, oh gosh. Well, we're not doing that. Well, man, he looks so crazy. That's how they look. Okay, moment of reality. 
Wow. Okay, so we have a lot of kids. We have a lot of kids, yes. Uh, and on their on their uh, their daughter's bathroom uh, mirror, their daughter's bathroom mirror. I remember one, you know, being there once and I saw this. It's like it's this famous quote, and I'm, I'm sure some of you have heard it. And I've had it on the bulletin before. It says, "For every look at self, take ten looks at Christ." It's easy to say, but and end like let's do this. For every glance we're looking into the mirror, for everything we're thinking of, our let's look, let's take ten times point in and say, hey, Christ, how am I? How am I doing myself? You're tracking, you're good, are you comfortable? If not, you're about to be. Okay. Alright, here we go. Verses 11 through 14. Let's get after it. Men and women must trust God in God's orders and God's order and his roles. So, verse 11, uh, verse 11, um, again, this, this verse has been twisted, but there's so much beauty here. So let's just read. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, at first glance, you look at that, and you might think, whoa, uh, Paul, easy. Uh, and, and but actually, what this this is actually completely countercultural. What he just said here is actually huge. Like the, the, the readers reading this were like, "Are you sure?" Because here's why: in this culture, Jewish culture, this this type of culture, when this was written, there, women were not even allowed to go to the gatherings. They weren't allowed to learn. They weren't allowed to be in the assemblies. And he just said, learn. I mean, literally, one Jewish uh, ancient document says it would have been better for the words of the Torah to be burned than that they should be entrusted to a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul, just, Paul, who is deemed most of the time in our culture as a bigot or a, a sexist, just said, hey, women, learn. I want you sitting under the word. I want you desiring to know the word. And he says, and he gives, how? How are they to learn? Quietly with awesome mysteries. And again, you might just read there, but oh my goodness, I just talked to church. Uh, and I'm going to go in, uh, get out. No, that's not what he is saying here. That's not what he is saying here. And why? You can't say that because, uh, I mean, I could just keep going and going and going. I mean, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. We have women praying in the church, and we have women prophesying in the church. You have women teaching older, uh, I mean, you have other women teaching other women. You have women teaching kids. I mean, you have women all over talking, talking, talking. That's not what he is meaning. It's not meaning completely silent. I can't ever talk or do anything. No, he is giving. What he is saying is, Learn with quietness and submissiveness because this is a way anybody learns. It's a humble and contrite heart. Like, it's impossible for anyone to learn when they're always just talking. To, I mean, you come to my family worship sometimes, you think I'm a pastor and everyone, my kids are just sitting there, oh Lord, teach me that. No, like, it's like, hey. Be quiet already and sit down talking. And I love you guys. Yeah, yeah. But it's 
you know, and because hey, this I, I want them, I want them growing, I want them. Matthew, I mean Luke 10. Luke 10 is a perfect illustration of this. Who you got, Luke 10? You got Mary, and you got Martha. Martha was in the, you know, she's in the kitchen, getting a cook on, you know, she's got a Pinterest all up, and she's cooking all this stuff. And, and then what's Mary, what's Mary doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. Learning. She's sitting. And she's just sucking it in. That's what Paul says, like, hey, I'm in the church. And again, in the context of talking about elders and the elders to hang on next week, we've got two weeks on elders. Elders primary an elders' primary responsibility. You know what it is in the scriptures? Teach and pray. Teaching sound doctrine. And he's saying, not just women, by the way. But the elders of the church, those who are teaching, how should we come under? If they are teaching sound doctrine, if the word is being held up, because we believe this is authority, how should we learn? How should we want to sit under it? Yes, I'm submitting to that word. I'm submitting to how God has ordained this in the preaching and heralding of the word. If it's sound, if it's under the authority, the banner of scripture, I'm sitting under it. With humility, with submissiveness, because it's not about me, it's about what God is saying. And I want to learn, I want to grow. And so that's what he's saying here. Women, it's actually, it's actually loosening the bonds. It's not tightening. He's actually, it's going counterculturally here. Learn, learn, learn. But then we get to the real humdinger, don't we? Verse 12. Let's get to it. Verse 12. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Again, that's this idea of learn. See, this verse, you don't see, right? You don't see this one plastered uh, on uh, coffee cups. Uh, or, I mean, that would be really weird. Uh, it's the ones that under all the eyelids of uh, the football players. are like, oh. You don't see it. Because it's, again, it's a lot of times it's just misunderstood but this is good for us and this is God's word and in short I'm going to go short and then I'm going to go long uh, in short this is what he's saying he's saying that the primary so that word teach in this verse that word teach you unpack it more and get into the Greek and all that uh, and it's, it's more of teaching it's the doctrinal standards of the church it's saying the main teaching doctrinal standards of the church is coming from, as we'll see in, in context, it comes from the elders. It's coming from the elders, the pastors, the overseers of the church. And he's saying that this idea of this authority, this type of teaching, this type of teaching is reserved for But notice, notice, this is not this is not a competence issue. This is not whether uh, uh, women are, 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 are more gifted or not than men. This is not a competence issue. He doesn't say, man, you're more competent. This is not a value issue. This is not uh, because men are more valuable. No, 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 no. They're both men and, men and women are equal 
and value and dignity. And I would also say, if the same spirit, by the way, the same spirit that was poured out upon uh, men uh, is, is poured out upon women. It's the same spirit, and the same spirit fills both to what? Herald and preach the gospel. I mean, to, to herald the gospel. We're not saying women are not to herald the gospel. I mean, I, I mean, you have all throughout the scriptures that women are called to all different kinds of ministries. I mean, uh, I, I believe women can be called to be missionaries, Sunday school teachers, worship pastors, pastor, children's ministries, co-ed small groups. But he, what he is saying, I mean, what he's saying here is that the only office that is reserved for it is the office of elder pastor teacher. It's for men. Now, John Piper, who wrote, oh my goodness, just massive books. And again, massive books have been written on this. Uh, in his appendix of his book, Men and Women of the Church, he lists 80 different types of full-time ministries a woman can be called into. 80 different types. And we're just saying there's one. We're just saying there's one. And you might, again, you, see, you hear that? Again, it's just like, again, my mom is preaching this morning. Hmm. Pray for me in three weeks as we go to the Colorado again. He, listen, I've heard the objections to this. And I feel like you've got to make gymnastics with the text to say something different. For example, I've heard this. This is, this is the pushback. Well, well, that's just Paul's. That's Paul's opinion. Literally, this is in scholarship. This is in teachings. Of the, it's just Paul's opinion. It says, I. Do you realize how dangerous that is? How terribly dangerous that is. Because what we say is that this word is authoritative. It's God's word. And the moment you say, Paul is, Paul is not, uh, uh, this is not authoritative. This is just Paul's word. Oh, man, I have to say, hold it. We, we start doing that. We start doing that with the text. And I'm saying, watch it. Because you're going to start unraveling all the other parts of Scripture and saying, well, that's not authoritative. That was this person's opinion. And then you start making your own theology out of whatever you want with the Scripture. Also, the, the, more, the, the most popular one is that this is a cultural issue. This is a culture issue, right? Like, uh, don't you know, in Ephesus, at this time, women were not very educated. And so that's why Paul says this. You can't make that argument. Because in literally two chapters, he's going to say, we're going to teach other women. And then, uh, I, well, well Rem, don't you know, uh, Arnaeus, this, this horrible pagan uh, god that was happening in Ephesus at this time. And, and because of this, it was this, this sex goddess that there was a lot of these weird, false teaching women. And they wanted to preserve. Listen, Acts 19 talks about Ephesus at this moment and this time. It doesn't say anything about that. Any type of false teaching. And my pushback would be, why in the world would Paul not address that specifically to those specific women? When last chapter, he literally just called out the false teachers by name. And if that doesn't do it for you, how in the world do you explain verses 13 through 15? Because he is not giving... 
The reason why he has said men are, should be these elders and leaders is because this is what creation. He goes back to creation. He gives his argument from creation. And the distinct roles of men and women. That's where he goes, verses 13 to 14. Listen, let's get into it. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. That just means God loves Adam better and then better. No, no. It doesn't mean that. What he's saying is Adam was more valuable. I mean, it wasn't that. It wasn't more valuable. But he is saying there is order here. Our God is, there is order. He is he is saying Adam is acting as head. But we know that, by the way, even though that still bugs you. And you think, oh, yeah, Adam was made first. But um, do you know what happened in, in Genesis 1? There's one part where, I mean, everything's going good. He's saying, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. You know, when the one thing God said, this is not good before, uh, before the fall, he looks down, he sees Adam. He's probably got a gnarly beard, riding a horse, has a shotgun. He's like, oh, my goodness. This is not good. There's a macho man down there, and it's all by himself. And so he says, I need to make a helpmate. I, I need to make a helper. And again, that word has been twist, twisted in our culture. Like, and men say, oh, yeah, so she's my helper. Oh, my gosh, I could. Uh, because the word helper here, do you know the word helper? The word helper in the Hebrew is the same word that is applied to God throughout all the Old Testament. Other times that word helper, it's, it's used to describe military help, such as if the reinforcements don't come, the battle is over. It's, that word helper is meant to, it, it, it's this idea, is it's meant to make up what is lacking. And so he is saying, uh, Adam, you are completely weak in and of yourself. I need to make a helper, one who is going to be strong, one who's going to come alongside you and actually make up what is weak in you. I, I thought I knew how to follow Jesus, then I got married, and then, wow, it's great. She is, Laura makes up what is lacking in Rebdice, in her strength. So he's not in any way undermining. He is just saying, this is how it's ordered. I'm making... It's not... It's not a maid. He's not making a maid to get you some chips and a beer and to get you the remote, but a helpmate. A strong helpmate. And then the text says, the woman was deceived. And she became a transgressor. Now, this is interesting. Again, he is saying there was order here. Now, this might, again, might say, well, he just pinned, did he just pin the whole fall on women? Yes. Gosh. No. Because, listen, track with me. It says, woman was deceived by Satan. What was the name of That moron was probably sitting behind just like, uh, what? And, here, here, he, she was deceived. The man ate the apple willingly. He eats the apple willingly. And so we see, even from the start of creation, that when man is not functioning as this head, there is danger here. And what, Genesis 3, again, I'm making, why I'm going through all this is because I'm making the argument that God had roles be starting in Genesis. Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 9. After they had fallen, who does God go looking for? 
Does he go looking for Eve? No, he calls out to the man. He says, man, what have you done? Like, what have you done? So he is saying, uh, Adam, you had, you, you were the one that was supposed to be leading the spiritual rhythms and functions of Eve, and you won it. And so he's putting, again, the spiritual trajectory of Eve was on him. And we see this in Ephesians 5. Men, pay attention. You are the primary spiritual leader of your home. The spiritual climate of your home, whether your wife and your kids are flourishing, it pins it on you. And I, I say that boldly from here, but if there's anything that drives me to my knees the most, is that right there. And then you might be thinking, well, uh, she knows more Bible than praying. I'm saying just start with your knees on the ground saying, Lord, help me. Help me. Because notice again, this Ephesians 5, he says, as Christ laid down his life. This is the correlation he's making. As Christ laid down his life for the church you men are to lay down your life. What does that look like? That means you wake up in the morning and you say, oh, what do I want to do? And you try to kill it as much as possible and say, what can I do to make my life flourish? What can I do to pray for my kid? How am I leading in a way? And you constantly say, I want to kill what's in me. I'm going to die to me so that I can wash my wife's Feet. I can wash my kids' feet. And then when the women see that type of servant leadership, they like, yes, please. But notice Genesis 3, 14 and 19. When the fall happens, again, this is just proving that there is roles. There's male and there's female and they're distinct and role. Same as distinctive role. Genesis 3, when the fall happens, he comes in 14 through 19. He said, because of the fall now, men, men, you're now going to see your role as servant leader. And because of what the fall has done, you're either going to domineer to make up for that lack, the sinful I mean, this isn't the heart of every man. You're either going to domineer or you're going to be passive. You're either going to want to make up for that by domineering, just or you're going to be passive. And women, the effect on your world, you're going to want to push back on this sort of leadership. That's going to be the temptation. And Paul is saying, listen, it's not a cultural thing, it's not a, it's none of this. This is how God has set up the rules to be in Genesis. I mean, we really have to, when I, I mean, how do we, if there's no rule, if there's no, how do you answer a little boy when he's 10 years old? Hey, what's it mean to be a man? Or a woman when she comes, hey, what's it mean to be a woman? I mean, this is what, I mean, do you not see how much this is under attack? We're just saying, hey, the Lord is great and holy and he is wise to make these complementary roles. And again, if you're like, man, I still just, that's one thing I can't, like, that seems impressive. 
Look at the Trinity. I mean, think about the Trinity. I mean, God is where we believe, right? We believe in the Trinity. God, the Father, the Son, and what? Holy Spirit. All equal in essence. Different in role. And God the Father, we could say, is the one who is electing. The Son is the one who is saving. The Spirit is the one who is sealing and feeling. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, Jesus is never like, man, I really wish I could be the Holy Spirit right now. That seems really unfair that he was the sealing and the feeling. And, the, you know, the Holy Spirit's like, man, I just wanted to die on the cross. No, they're, they're, I mean, they're like, this is what it's like. It's a, it's a dance. And a church that gets this healthy, and guys, again, this is one sermon. It's one thing to have orthodoxy, like have this, you know, we're going to go And then another thing to have the orthopraxy, meaning how do we actually live this out. And we're just going to say, give us grace. We're going to just continue, hey, give us grace. And, and if it's lived out good, you know what it looks like? A good slow dance. So it looks like, I'm not a good slow dancer. I don't know what I'm doing. Dancing, I'm nervous. I'm preaching on this. Because why? One, someone's leading, someone's following. And that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, this, this is how it, there's something about when men are exercising their, it's, it's a picture of how God formed man to be human. And it's a picture of saying, this is good. It's how God designed it. We can trust this design. All right, we got a long plan. I told you it was long plan. Men and women must trust God in a difficult passage. You're like, oh no, third point? It's, it's like, it's literally going to have just real brief. Verse 15, because we got to talk about verse 15. What's that about? Three words. I don't know. Okay? All right. This, no, I mean, seriously, this, this, this verse is the most disputed. They say in some spirit, this is the hardest passage ever to preach in, in, in Scripture. So, great. All do see it one, one, one Sunday. Uh, Paul, here's what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. So let's look at it again. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Oh boy. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Here's what obviously he is not saying. He is not saying, and sorry about you, if you thought this was, it was the same, uh, that if you have a baby, you will be saved. Like, that's why you have all those kids. No, it's like, no. <laughs> that's not what he's saying. It's not that you don't have, uh, that's obviously not what he's saying what he is saying, there's two interpretations that would fall under orthodox belief. The first one is in the Greek, in the Greek, if you look there, the, the, the definite article, the, is left out right before childbirth. So with Genesis and my, so we would read like this, through the childbirth, through the childbirth. And the argument is that John saw is in this camp, he's smarting, he would say, uh, what they were saying on this, so this with Genesis in mind, he has the childbirth, meaning what did what was promised Eve in Genesis 3:15, that from your seed would come one who would crush the head of the enemy. We have the snake crusher who is Jesus. So he's saying, so one interpretation is, is that there you're gonna be saved. Through the child, through Christ, Amen, and they will too. All those who are your offspring, meaning you, all you women, and yes, that you will too be saved through Christ. Okay, that's great, Amen. That's orthodox. I think you can make that argument. 
Another one is, is that uh, the word saved in the New Testament, the word saved in the New Testament isn't always used in the idea of like justic justification by faith. Meaning I'm saved, that means uh, Jesus coming into my heart, he's saving, redeeming. That's one way of that, how that word is used. But there's another way sometimes saved is used in the New Testament. And for example, you see this in Philippians 2, where it says, work out your salvation. Meaning it's not work out Mary in favor with God, but striving, he's meaning they're striving for Christ's obedience. It's this more falling into this idea of your growing sanctification. And I think I'm leaning more on this view. And because here's here's in essence what he's saying. That in short, bearing a child and, and and exercising a woman, exercising her God divine role that is most clearly seen. That makes, I think, the clearest distinction between men is that women get to have babies, men you don't. And there's something about that that is distinct in her role as a woman, woman that through her ordained role as a woman, that she will be sanctified through that. There's something about, hey, I'm living more fully into who I am as a woman, and I'm through childbearing and, and other ways as a woman that is actually going to form me and move me closer to Christ. And so both, again, they're, they're there. Uh, I, I heard a third one, but don't have time for that as well. Ask me about it later. But in close here, I, I, I do want to say I am willing to embrace the awkward passage. This is why, by the way, we will preach the books of the Bible here at Grace. Because you don't want to get up in the, you know, no one's like, ah, yeah, 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 15, can't wait, it's a doozy, can't wait to break it up, no, because we're just going to say what we have to do the word. But I am just willing to embrace the awkward the heart because of the beauty here. And it, and I know, it, again, it, if this is, come talk. Come, let's, let's talk about this. Let's flesh this out more. We're going to continue to flesh this out more. But just know, my mom and me, I got your brother, we're tight. We really are. My sister, we're, we're tight. We're close. And it's because, why? Me is the one thing that is truly binding us together. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's centered on Christ. And he is he's the one thing that we are just, man, that binds us and molds us together. And I will say this as we end. He is the one that restores this best. He's the only one. If you think, man, I've blown it as a male, I've blown it as a female, these are struggles day in and day out. The, the great news of this is that God knew that. That's why literally in Genesis 3.15, he's like, oh, by the way, I am going to send the, uh, the serpent crusher. He's going to crush the head of him, and he's going to redeem. He's going to redeem all the ways we have blown as male and female, and he, if we just center, if we just repent, if we just say, Jesus, help us continually. We can trust you, and we can, and let us do it. Let us trust God. And how he has 
your day and your function. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for uh, uh, your word. And uh, Lord, we are so thankful that it is true. And we can, we can trust it. We can know it. And Lord, I just pray that, Father, um, with difficult passages like this, Lord, anything that I said that uh, was, even if it's truthful but misunderstood, just strike it from their minds. Uh, but I, I, I pray, Father, that we would, um, we would trust, we would lean in, we would, we would be a church that models this passage well. And so, Lord, help us. That's just out just help us. And Lord, if uh, we here today, Lord, help us. Help us to die to ourselves. Help us to cling to you, Jesus. And, and, to, and, and to, Father, just trust you that you are the only good shepherd. And, and that, Father, we would, we would lean into you. And then just help the women in our church. Help us to help them flourish and find ways that continually that we can just Read encouragement for them and how that Lord we could use and activate their gifts and ministry in many different ways. But Lord, help this text to be true in their heart. And then to see the beauty of what is here. Lord, we desire to be a happy church. So Lord, help us drink this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, the tithes and offering passage comes from 1 Timothy. I can't wait to actually fix this passage as well. 1 Timothy 6, 18 says, Be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So I love it. Be good and rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. And again, we, it, it's, a, it's a way, giving is a way we are to worship. And so there's a black box as you exit the sanctuary on the left, ways to give online, or you can drop your donations in there, but I would encourage you to be good and rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. So let's stand and sing our closing song together. As we stand and have heard about the serpent pressure, uh, who has crushed the heel, our Redeemer that has died to redeem all our failures, let's just sing as we celebrate how it was finished off.
who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, through him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Thank you.